Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Go ahead, hit me. You can't fuck me. Why don't you just hit me? Sis. You know that, Alex? Lonely and very sad. Don't you ever pick me You go, Glenn Close. You go, girl. Well, she did, didn't she? You go, Glenn Close. What a fantastic... I love the 80s bubble pump. It's the rabbit I felt sorry for. Yes, but it's a metaphorical rabbit we're talking about today, not a real rabbit. <laughs> it's a metaphorical Because out on Thursday is Hags. The Demonisation of Middle-Aged Women by Victoria Smith. And I'm not exaggerating when I say every woman over 45 should read this book. It should be compulsory. And she, the author, loves A Fatal Attraction. A lot of people criticised it. They said it was single women overcompensating for not being men. Like Nick, they didn't like the rabbit being killed. No, I, I liked the rest of it, but I couldn't cope with the rabbit thing. I could not cope with the rabbit but thing. But in the book, Victoria Smith writes, I love this film. Indeed, the older I get, the more I see Alex join the ranks of women in film and literature whom I'm supposed to find obscene, but whose grievances suddenly seem entirely reasonable. Never is this more true than when Close delivers the line, I'm not going to be ignored. You know, we're not going to be ignored. And this whole book really is a very highbrow but funny version of Fatal Attraction. She is not going to be ignored. And she writes, the cliche of middle-aged womanhood is that it's a time when we become invisible. Alas, this does not happen. We're still here, the same as always. It's just we're being ignored, like Glenn Close. Other people are actively choosing not to value us. This ignoring is often talked of as a minor issue, perhaps even a perk of becoming decrepit. Hey, at least we don't get catcalled anymore. At least we don't have to be attractive. Meaningful, positive attention is not on the cards for us. The implication being that any irritation we might now feel amounts to a hypocritical resentment at no longer being treated as sex objects. This trivialises what is being done to us and, bonus sexism, implies younger women secretly love being treated like pieces of meat and miss it when it's gone. I, for one, write as someone who fell for this. This is still Victoria speaking. Mistakenly believing my impending visibility would indeed be a matter of escaping objectification. I assumed it wouldn't bother me. I even allowed myself to feel a little superior to women who seem more reluctant to let nature take its course, like me. But this active ignoring is not the same as the end of objectification. You're still an object. You've just changed in status from painting or sculpture to, say, a hat stand. 
I felt that the shift over the past five or six years, as I've progressed from early to late 40s, men my age or older speak to women younger than us both as though they are peers. Well, I'm barely there at all. I struggle to enter into the conversation. I feel small. And she also says that term, you go girl, suddenly it's hang on a minute, we didn't mean you. We're not allowed to say that anymore. All in all, it's enough to drive any woman Alex Woods. Writing this book is my alternative to boiling the bunny. So this is all about hag hate. And really, 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 really interesting line in the book is this one. Ageism is the dumbest bigotry of all, as we will all too be 50, 60, 70 or dead. So you're being ageist and bigoted about yourself. And there's this delusion that it's never going to happen to you. But it will unless you die. But it just it's what we've got so much to offer, haven't we? So much life experience, so much knowledge. You know, we've got so much that's more interesting than when we were younger. I'm I'm more interesting now than when I was twenty. I'm not as attractive, but I'm I'm certainly more interesting. Yeah. That's got to count for something. But it's fine. as a young woman in your twenties, you never think you're going to become a hag. And I love her claiming that word. I mean, my ex-husband called me in the car, you effing old hag. Nice. How to win friends and influence And I was people. only, what, 42. What an arsehole. What a horrible thing to what say. An and I think all this very high-profile stuff about the menopause, we're medicalising the normal process of ageing, I actually think that's demonising women even more. It's making us even no. more unemployable. No, I, I don't agree. I think if you're having symptoms... They're saying you should have menopause leave. No, but for some women, the menopause is really, really hugely debilitating. I think if you can do anything to make it better, whether it's take HRT, whatever it is, if it's really debilitating for you, I think you need to grab whatever helps with both hands. You don't think it's demonised it and made it, no. made it medicalise something that's just a normal process? It is, it is a normal process, but I don't think we have to suffer with it. You know, I mean, childbirth is a normal process, but we still have gas and air. We still have drugs. I mean, I, I'm not interested in natural childbirth. I mean, obviously that ship sailed with me, but, you know, no thank you. I, d- I don't see why we can't take anything that helps without then feeling it's being demonised, like we're being weak because we're not just following the natural process and suffering. Why should we suffer? Well, you've read a new book as well this week now. It's called Strange Sally Dimond. What's a diamond? Dimond. Well, you've just written Dimond. I thought that was spelt diamond. <laughs> So, Nicola Bev cannot spell diamond. No, well, I am dyslexic. Now, Nicola has a horse called Quincy. (laughs) Oh, you're evil. You're evil. And when I first met Nicola, she had this saddle cloth, because she used to be quite smart, with his full name embroidered on this saddle cloth, Quincy Quo Vardis, and she spelt Vardis, V-A-R-D-I-S. But uh, it was, it's colloquial, isn't it? That's how you it say it. It was embroidered with an R, so we had to unpick the R because you don't spell it with an R, and now she can't spell diamond. <laughs> That's what dyslexia does for you. But it's out today, and it's called Strange Sally Diamond. It's written by Liz Nugent. A lot of people wrote to me after I reviewed The Maid, and if you read The Maid and you enjoyed The Maid, you definitely will love this. The leading character, Sally, is is a bit strange and 
She's a woman in her 40s that's been deeply affected by a really traumatic childhood, which you find out more about as the book goes on. So I'm not going to spoil it for you. But she's been brought up in isolation and she really struggles with dealing with people and sort of what's socially acceptable. And the start of the book is her dad, who's terminally ill, jokes that when he dies, she can put him out with the beans. And is it I'll, set in England? Is it set in it's, an It's house? set in England. It, it, I think it's an okay house. We don't get massive descriptions of the house, but she Church. moves. She Church. moves to a lovely house, which she has all so designed like by friends. No, she moves to a specially designed renovated house so you'd like that bit but it's it's a really good book it's lots of twists and turns and sally isn't particularly likable at first you get quite frustrated with her and you're sort of sorry for her at the same time but you do get to a point where you're quite invested with her but there's not really other nice characters is in it there a thriller? it is it's a psychological it's not a thriller it's a psychological i wouldn't say thriller is it as good as Fatal Attraction? It's it's different. It's different, but it is very good. There's lots of twists and turns, lots of unexpected relationships, and the dynamics between these very damaged people. Because what you've got is you've got the line of abuse. So you've got, you know, you talk about the abused becomes the abuser. We see that really sort of clearly in this book. Not, not Sally, but another sort of person in the book. Literally how this storyline affects these characters and the relationship between them it's quite complex but the narrative is really well put together she does it brilliantly I didn't want to put the book down I I sort of read it and thought right I really must go to sleep now and then I'd be laying there thinking well what happens next so I did keep reading it I would really recommend it really recommend it well at least people send you books. Yes, yes, I've got the books. And I've also, this week, I've got Nick's Niggles again. I've got the ump. Come on, there. I've got the ump. Bloody football. I'm sorry, I get in, I've worked all day, I'm tired, I put the kettle on, and I want to watch my programmes. I want to watch my soaps. And what do I see? Bloody men kicking a ball about on um. BBC One and ITV. Wasting time. I do fancy Gary Lineker, though. What, now? Yeah. No. And he's single, and he's got a dog. I'd rather have his crisps. I'd rather have his crisps. Also, I yeah, don't... Yeah, what is a sports channel for? Go what is to your sports own channel, channel. Go to your own Bugger channel. Off. Bugger off of my soaps. I don't like it. I don't want it. Don't interfere with the end of my day. I'm very upset because I was watching, because it's it's fashion weeks at the moment, and I've been streaming them, and I was watching the Dries Van Noten show. I love Dries Van Noten. In the mid-90s... You had a lovely dress, didn't you, Dries Van Noten? I've still got that. I've got that. It's lovely. I had this beautiful sheer shirt, no. all embroidered in India by Dries Van Noten, but it did develop quite a few holes, and I threw it away, and I should have kept it. I throw too many things away, don't I? You know, if it's not nailed down, you throw it away. When we were moving from Somerset, Liz went to the dump more than, I don't know, someone that was working on a building they site. They still send me birthday cards from I swear, dump. every single day I'd walk out my front door towards Liz's front door and see this pile ready for the dump. But anyway, I was so, it's so seductive watching the fashion show. So I was watching Dries Van Noten and I thought, oh, my God. If only I had some Dries Van Noten, I'd be a lot happier. So I went to Netta Porte and I found 
this over-large, oversized, last one left, pinstripe Dries van Noten blazer. Because Dries van Noten in his shop, he has a section called blazers. He has a section called jackets. They're very different. Are they? What's the difference? Well, I don't know. Blazers are bigger and more manly, I think. Oh, okay. In the sale... Reduced to 300 and something from like 900. And I used to have that jacket. But Gracie chewed the buttons on it. What hasn't Gracie chewed? So I thought, it's down to 300. With my 30% off at Metaporte, that's going to bring it down to about 200, isn't it? Mm. So I logged in, Liz Jones at Daily Mail, and now I've discovered they've taken away my discount. No. Don't complain. Think Get onto the PR and complain. You have to suffer this life for something. Discounts are really important. But one book, which I haven't been sent, the biography of Lagerfeld, they just ignored us, haven't they? No, it's certainly not turned up yet. So I haven't read the biography of Carl Lagerfeld, but there was a couple of his funny quotes because he was very acerbic and witty. And one of his quotes is, I hate rich people who live below their means. I like that. We know a few of those, don't we? We do. And he's talking about when Stella McCartney took over the helm at Chloe, Lagerfeld quit. I thought they would choose a big name. They did, but in music, not in fashion. Meow. (laughs) Wow. So this is a very good peg... We all know what we all know what peg we? is. We've been educated for my review of Stella, and this is from 2012. Now Stella showed in London in 2012 because it was sort of the run up to the Olympics, which were in London in 2012. Do you remember they put me I on a boat? I do remember that. It was a bloody nightmare. So this is about how I was invited to the Stella McCartney show, a very rare occurrence in London. I'm quite rude about London, actually. I said, hems aren't finished, shoes are so high, the models routinely tumble, bouncers are rude. The reason you perhaps think London is open for business is down to smoke and mirrors. I often read reviews of fashion shows in the newspapers and wonder out loud, were you there? Seriously? Take this glowing write-up of the Stella McCartney show on Saturday night. Not for her, the conventional catwalk show. McCartney showed of her designs at a six-course black-tie dinner strewn with celebrity friends. The models danced on the tables and wowed the guests, particularly Anna Wintour. Hmm. Anna Wintour danced on tables? No, models did. Oh, OK. <laughs> I had that vision in my head. Hmm. Not quite how I saw the evening. I understand, of course... Why fashion critics do the above sort of rave review. They want you to be jealous. They want to be invited next season. And also it's very flattering to be seated next to Bianca Jagger. But here's my take on this Stella happening from 2012. I turned up early. I'm always early. You are always early. I'm always late and you're always early. To number 13A North Audley Street, a glorious building in the heart of Mayfair. My invitation said enticingly, 9pm sharp, cocktails and dancing. You're early, said the beautiful young woman with a walkie-talkie. But Simon Le Bon and Susie Menkes had just gone in, I said. Yes, but your space isn't ready. Come back at nine. It doesn't Alarm bells went off. Mm. 
I'm going to be herded into an unheated pen and rained on. I just know it. My fears were well-founded. I was eventually exported upstairs to a balcony area where the press were able to gaze down, so me and a couple of other no, 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 Billy No Mates, at the real guests and the real journalists as they were eating for two hours. So they all had dinner downstairs. I was on a balcony and I was given six almonds. It's not good enough, is it? While it was fun to watch and study Rihanna's dark roots and watch Anna Winter move her saffron risotto around her plate, on Anna Winter's table was Amber Valletta, Yasmin Lebon, Shalom Harlow and Kate Moss, all of which would put you off your food, seriously. Yeah, I think it'd even work for me. I began to get more and more angry. My job was to report on the collection, which would have been just about possible had I packed a telescope. This was an expensive affair for Stella. Hire of the building alone was £18,000, plus the orchestra, catering, champagne, flowers, security, mainly to keep me out, and of course the models. But as a public relations exercise, it was a disaster. As one man next to me in our ghetto quipped, you know the people having dinner downstairs would be the only ones allowed in the lifeboats. Actually, it's a good job I'm so reviled and hated by the fashion world, as had Stella McCartney plonked me right next to Alexa Chung or on Tom Ford's boyfriend's left, I too would have trilled and cooed instead of telling you the truth. The Stella show was a love fest for her friends, not really good for business. Thank goodness, later that week, I bumped into Louise Wilson. She's now the late Louise Wilson. She very sadly died. Then she was head of fashion at Central St Martins. She was the only person I met all week who talked sense and still had a dash of humility. As well as nurturing Stella McCartney, Alexander McQueen et al., Wilson told me she had taught the unsung graduate who came up with the pattern and fabric for the optical illusion Octavia Stella McCartney gown, worn so famously by Kate Winslet, to give her an impossibly hourglass shape. Of course, all designers, not just Victoria Beckham, had teams of print designers, pattern cutters and so on who helped with their craft. The designer's job is to have the vision and put it together. Still, it makes you a little less sympathetic towards the likes of John Galliano, who cited fatigue as the reason he racially abused fellow cafe goers. So it's not overwork that makes fashion types impossibly rude. They've got teams. See, I don't have a team, do I? You've got me. I'm your team. Louise Wilson told me that she'd watched what had happened to me at Antonio Berardi's show in London a season or two ago. He too had been one of her students before he became too big for his python boots. I saw how the PRs were so rude to you and wouldn't let you in his show, she said. I thought, I'm not going to be party to this. So I walked out. There are two reasons I'm often barred, left freezing in my Jonathan Silden Sanders kilt on the pavement. The first is elitism. Luxury labels like to police their coverage, much as their shop bouncers deter the poor and the old. And in my piece on the death of bigger models, which was in the paper on Sunday, I did say that more and more big sizes are only available online because they don't want you in their shop. They don't want you in their shop. No. Second, unless you deliver a gushing review, you will be excommunicated forevermore. And it was interesting, the day after that piece came out, 
couriered to my flat, as everyone who was on the guest list, even if you're in the balcony, was two Stella McCartney perfumes. So it's deliberately designed. You get the perfumes. Thank you for coming as you're writing the piece. Of course yeah. you're going to write a positive review, well, unless you're me in the Daily Mail. Yeah. Well, that's the thing you've talked about a lot, isn't it? The sort of the gifts and everything, you know, that, that's meant to get positive reviews. That's the whole point of it, isn't but it? But it does. And in fact, the only person really who's been negative over the past few days in Milan of the Gucci show was Lisa Armstrong. He used to work at Vogue and she's now at the Telegraph. And she just said it was just obscene. It was anti-women. It was just rubbish. And I thought, hurrah, at least someone else is being off honest. But her freebies are going to dry up pretty quickly, aren't they? Well, she's very powerful, Lisa Armstrong. Hmm. Powerful's good. You so wouldn't... that was a good piece, wasn't it? Was it was a very good piece. Do you want to hear this week's column? Yes. We're doing things in reverse this week, aren't we? Well, I like to mix it up. Change it up, yeah. Let's not be boring. So one of my moans, I had to buy hags for eleven ninety-nine because no one sent it to me. It's like I don't exist. It's like I'm invisible. As Victoria Smith says, we become not invisible, we're just ignored, I'm just ignored. I didn't get a copy of Hags, I didn't get a copy of Carl Lagerfeld. They won't give me the Paul McCartney book of photographs, will they? No, I tried very hard to get the Paul McCartney book and it was like, absolutely not. So one of my moans, which goes with my column, is book publicists. And I really want you to tag in the author of this book so she knows what's happened. I will. Right? I sent three emails, each marked urgent... Daily Mail, asking for a digital copy of How to Kill Men and Get Away With It. Useful for review and perhaps to use yeah. as a useful. manual. Useful. Yeah, no, no, useful. Not that. one single reply. I still haven't had the book. I still haven't been able to review it. I still don't know how to kill men. And I wonder if authors who might have spent years struggling realise how little their work is valued. So we're going to my column now. Which begins with some good news. Praise be. I'm going to be allowed to carry on renting my cottage from the new owner, despite the fact I've not been allowed to buy it. Yay, she's not homeless. All the collies are putting their paws in the air. Yeah, we're doing Beyonce dance. Ooh, ooh. But the stress of the past 12 months, not knowing where I would live, not having a safe space, constantly worried about the dogs and the horses, viewings... Shoes in the house. Viewings. Shoes in the house. Viewings have been horrific. Has taken a terrible toll. I find it very hard to leave the house, even to go to a supermarket. I've started drinking again in moderation. I've lost all confidence in myself and my future. And so finally, I've given in. Yesterday, I picked up a prescription for citalopram, an anti-anxiety medication. I've never taken medication before, as I've always been too terrified it would change me, make me feel worse, render me less driven, surviving as I do on adrenaline. I was prescribed the medication over the phone. I told my nice GP that I find it hard to walk the dogs, as I'm convinced something bad will happen. Minnie will be run over, or I will lose Teddy. And today I'm going to see a psychiatrist face to face. Even the prospect of driving to the surgery is making my stomach churn. I get to the clinic. Date of birth, Jesus Christ. 
I'm forced to take Gracie with me as she can't be left in the house, but the other three collies stay fine at home in the warm. The young therapist is sympathetic. She removes her mask as I tell her I'm deaf and have to lip read. We start by discussing how I feel. She shows me a list of symptoms on her screen. I have every single bloody one of them. Palpitations, panic attacks, OCD, negative thoughts, can't sleep or eat. I've even started shaking. I tell her my anxiety stops me from enjoying anything. I would laugh if I could at the leaflet that advises me to take five minutes of exercise a day. I do way more than that, but it doesn't help my stress. I do actually laugh at the leaflet that tells me, don't aim too high. That's not ever going to be you, is it? I'm world-beating. Award-winning. The leaflet also wants me to reconnect with family. Yeah, the blood-sucking leeches. I tell the psychiatrist that I've lived on adrenaline for 40 years. She suggests that in the morning I don't read the papers or listen to the news. I tell her I'm a newspaper woman. That is what I do. I'd have loved, simply adored, to miss the article where my Indian ex-husband accused me of being a racist. She asks if I can think about reducing my workload. To that I give another hollow chuckle. What world do these people live in? How would I afford to pay my rent? I'm paid by the word. I don't have a pension. She says she noticed I'm columnist of the year on my emails. I'm going to have to take that off next week. But not yet. But not yet. We're hoping. We're hoping. Well, I'm thinking of pushing at the end of my emails. Former (laughs) columnist of the year. See, then you can still keep it, can't you? In emeritus columnist of the year. Or if we get podcast, if we win the podcast award, you can have podcast of the year. Well, you get that on your column. What do I get? Do I have to wear like a little badge or something? You could just have a little sort of sticker on your car. I could have a little, yeah, I could could get one of them magnetic things printed and stick on my bonnet. (laughs) Anyway, she noticed I'm columnist of the year on my emails and says it's my fear that has doubtless driven me to perform. I can see, because she's looking a bit puzzled, that she can't compute... 40 years at the top of a cutthroat profession with me telling her I've been threatened with eviction. I'm in tears now. I'm always in tears. She refers me to a website. They always refer you to a website, don't Always. They? Go and look at the website. Improving access to psychological therapies. I can get on a waiting list for cognitive behavioural therapy face-to-face. She insists I must take the medication I have first with food. Food? What even is that? I tell her I will try. She's very kind and it makes a lovely change to have someone on my side, apart from Neg. She says I need to have a more optimistic outlook. (laughs) Yeah. She says I need to take a step back if I feel overwhelmed. But I tell her that bad things do happen to me. I'm not imagining them. I can't stand idiots who breathe through life, never worrying, never trying, who are too comfortable to perform or turn up to work on time. Who don't care. I tell her I've been proven right so many times before. I found my horse dead in the stable. I lost my home. I lost my job. Twice. She says I need to think about all the things that have gone right. I tell her there aren't any. After our 30 minutes, I leave with my leaflets and my website address. I need to start thinking differently. I know that. I cannot live like this. I get home and I open the door. I'm greeted by a very strange smell. 
There is diarrhoea all over the rugs. I had professionally cleaned only a week before at a cost of £110. I sink to the floor, defeated. I was right, you see. I'm always right. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's all these things like, I know, the dog having diarrhoea on your rug or you drop in a glass and, and there's glass everywhere. There's all these things just, they take you right over the edge when you feel like that. Oh, I'm very they? close to the edge. It's awful. And I find it, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because they're trying to help, but a lot of the suggestions are completely impractical to your lifestyle. They're completely impractical for your job. Yeah, don't read the news in the morning. Scale back on your workload. Go for, uh, how does she think I survive? I don't yeah. have a bleeding husband. No. But I am going to do the CBT course, and it's six weeks online, and I am going to do the whole six weeks. I think you have to, don't you? Because... You've got to give it a go. Something's got to change. You can't carry on feeling like this because there's no quality of life. No. You have to But I can't feel remember better. a time where I haven't been absolutely terrified. Yeah. So when I was five, first day at school, I would not go in the playground. I wouldn't leave my mum for days. No. Like every day she'd take me back, I wouldn't leave. The first day I was brave enough to go through the playground, the big boy knocked me over. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're all sort of like in a way, either victims or buoyed up by our childhoods because either we've had things in our childhoods developed us into these frightened people or worried people or lack of confidence, whatever it is, or you're overconfident or you've been brought up perfectly. I mean, this book that I read, this Sally Diamond book, it really shows very, very well how you're shaped by your childhood, by your experiences and what trauma can really do to your life. It it actually illustrates that perfectly. And it's sort of it's self-perpetuating, it's isn't it? Because, yes, bad things happen to me, but bad things happen to me very often because I'm so nervous not to deal with something. Yeah. Therefore, I don't read the contract. I don't tell someone, no, get out of my house because I'm too nervous the whole yeah. time. But even when good things, even think when things are good it still stops you kind of enjoying them, doesn't it? So it could be a lovely day, you're walking your dogs, but you're catastrophising over something, like Minnie might get run over or whatever. Yeah, so she said to me, isn't yeah. there something you enjoy and you're not doing anymore? Start doing it again. And I said to her, no, I don't enjoy anything. No. All I want to do every day is get back to bed and go to sleep. Yeah, because it's your safe place. Because I've made it through another day. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. Is that if you get to the point I think in that's your life, why my house being sold from under me terrifying was so awful because I then didn't even have a safe space that I could call my own no and I think if you're waking up in the morning and your aim is to get through the day and get to bed because that's where you can just yeah. finally go okay I've done it I've got through another day yeah. I mean when you get to that's that why point, I do everything quickly yeah it has to change but also, I also think a lot of people out there might relate to this. If you haven't got any money, you can't wait to get through the week or to the end of the month because you've got through it without spending any money, if you sort of mean. I've got another two weeks to go. So you're sort of wishing your life away until two the next day. paycheck. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, it's only two weeks away. I have to survive until then. Do you see what I mean? You're sort of wishing oh, yeah. your life away yeah. because you can't enjoy today because you've got no money. Yeah. And therefore you want to get to the end of March and you don't know how you're going to get there. So you're no. constantly wishing your life away. Yeah. So for me, I'm constantly wishing my life away. 
So we need to find you something that just gives you that chink of light, don't we? That little bit of pleasure. And hopefully the citra plan will help. The what will help? Citra, was it citra plan, citrella plan? I don't know how you pronounce it. But hopefully the antidepressants will help. You'd be able to, to sort of look at things and let them ride over you a little bit more than the face. It's funny, so I used to go, because I come from a, a very non-academic background and I never mix with clever people and very introverted and I would just read everything. And I used to have to go to conference every morning on the Evening Standard where you talk about ideas and stuff. Very posh editor. But I would always be pronouncing words the wrong way. So I'd say, yes, but it's been proven to do this. And she'd say, proven. She was always shaming me for saying things in the wrong like way. It's just not necessary. Just bugger off. It's not necessary bugger to make off. someone feel stupid or doubt. Bugger off. You can read this week's diary in full Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Would you like to know what the readers are saying this week? Only if they're positive. Well, we've got Louise, who has got it bang on the nail. Louise says, just having read Liz Jones's page in the Mail on Sunday magazine, I thought she might be amused to hear that while Googling hotels in France, I found one that said it would take pets by prior arrangement, but no children allowed. I imagine she will be moving there shortly. Let's go there. Sounds great, doesn't it? Sounds absolutely marvellous. And we've got Julia, who we've chatted to before, and she said, Good afternoon, ladies. Haven't dropped you both a line for ages. In fact, the last time was when I wrote that I thought you, Nick, were Madge to Liz's Day Medna. Whereas now it's more That's like French That's probably because we talk about front bottoms and back bottoms. Well, you do. I'd, I'd, yeah, but Dame Edna does. I'd never heard anyone say that before. But that came from Dame Edna. Oh, well, I didn't even so know she's that. she's got no references, you see. No, no, I didn't even know that. See, as far as I'm concerned, it's Jabitz. The bits is enough. So I'm presuming I'm French and you're Saunders. So she says she loves the podcast and looks forward to it. To it every week and we make her laugh with their stories she gets where you're coming from because she's the same age she loves her animals she's also got four dogs and she also had jackie in a school bag on a thursday but david cassidy was hers david cassidy was mine so gonna get into a bitch fight now david cassidy was mine. gonna get into a bitch fight isn't it david cassidy we have also we've got we've got a lovely card with lots of lovely pictures of yulcom from Steve. Steve, not David. Steve, not David. I thought it was... Oh, no, George is the next one. George, George is the next one. Steve. So, Steve, not David, says he's sorry to read of your loathing of the city of York, the capital of the God's own country. So, he's obviously not very happy with you. Presumably, this rather jaundiced view was caused by your entanglement with the one-way system and your unfortunate experience in the car park and I still have flashbacks store. about being in the car park. So in the interest of balancing your view, he would like to show you some of the attractions of his city in the event of you giving it a second chance. So Steve, not Steve, George. you should have enclosed a photo and I might have considered he's it. He's up for giving you a little... Well, he, he, he's obviously a very witty person. Now we last but not least... This is from George, not David. This is from George, not David. Dear Liz, hope you find love. Great sex or true love, which is more important to you? I've been married 50 years. 
She knitted me a willy warmer. I didn't like it, so I undone it and made a cardigan from it. When we had an argument, I said to her, when you die, I'm having on your headstone, cold as usual. She said, I'm having on yours, stiff at last. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.